sit back, relax, and enjoy the warm sounds of the Beer Engine podcast with Griff and Tony. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Beer Engine podcast. It's the podcast where we talk, uh, we meaning myself, Griff, and my friend Tony, who um, this may be his final episode. Uh, Tony, uh, congratulations on your new gig as the newest host of the Call Her Daddy podcast. Well, I know it's an upgrade, but I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. We've, we've formed such a perfect symbiotic energizing relationship that that i need this podcast more than i need another podcast well you're not going to turn down the 450 g's though from dave portnoy i assume right is money everything is money everything is is it is money is, is anything it? hasn't this pa- getting... pandemic proved that money is nothing money is a construct that is created by people that just want power. If I could get 450 G's to talk about, I don't know, I, were they talking about what fucking or s- sucking dicks or whatever um, from the comfort of my house. I think that's what the pandemic's all about, baby. Um, all summed up into one, uh, one convenient uh, little package there. Yeah. 500 G's. If you, if you would have picked up that gig, Tony. 500. Uh, we're talking American G's, not Australian G's. Yeah. I'm done American G's, but you would take the Australian too. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Still yeah. not bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Hey, you come back here anytime you want, Tony. I'm sure I can uh, dig up someone to uh, work for, you know, I, I couldn't, I could we couldn't even out the offers. I, I called Dave up. I said, I, you know, all I can give him is, you know, 250 G's and, you know, listeners, if you guys want to have Tony on the show more, you're going to have to cough up the dough and I don't really have any way or, or why you should do that, but you know, if you want to hear Tony, I'm worth it. Yeah, if you want to we hear my dulcet tones, you have to cough up the dough. It's true. Well, Tony, I wanted to update everybody on a uh, piece of news, or a, I guess it wasn't even that the, a topic we discussed. And I know this is a a new business news topic that uh, you've been itching for us to include the CNBC hour um, uh, of our podcast. Uh, Tony, we talked about Chuck E. Cheese delivery um, a few weeks ago, I believe, if my memory serves me correct. That is one thing that hasn't betrayed you yet. Your memory is correct. That's good. Um, The last thing left. But uh, Chuck E. Cheese delivery was in the news uh, this week here in the U.S. I don't know if you heard about this, Tony. I have not. But uh, Chuck E. Cheese has been... um, is itching for more delivery business. So it was convenient for us to talk about them. And I will give a shout out to Chucky, Char- Mr. Charles Entertainment uh, Cheese, if he would like to reach out and, uh, you know, throw us a buck or two to keep Tony around to talk about it some more. Um, but uh, Chucky e. Cheese has launched a premium delivery brand um, and it is called Pasquale's Pizza. They have essentially just a, it's just a Grubhub, you know, whatever, DoorDash, you know, whatever it is. Um, brand there's no location they cook it out of Chuck E. cheese and apparently they their premium what they what they mean by a premium brand is that it has a thicker crust of pizza oh just what we want if i'm thinking premium i'm thinking i'm thinking toppings i think we need 
great toppings. I also think we need great sauce. Um, I also think it needs to be the right balance, which you really find on pizza anywhere, of the right amount of toppings. Often um, places either go under the amount of topping and that you can see why the pizza is so cheap. Um, I'm looking at you, Domino's, and there are brands worse than Domino's, but I, I do think Domino's is guilty of that. Or at the other end of the spectrum, they premium brands or pizza brands in general try to bamboozle you with a shit ton of toppings. I think a premium pizza gets that balance absolutely right. I don't think thicker crusts screams premium. Well, you're wrong because it's thicker crust and more sauce. Those are the things that make a pizza premium. Um, so another for Tony. Now, can you, can you sort of talk me through what a Chuck E. Cheese pizza is? Like, is there anything unique about it or is it just essentially a Domino's or it's a Pizza a Hut? Pizza. I mean, yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, guess the art, I guess the thing I was trying to figure out is why the fact that more sauce is a premium element makes me wonder how much, <laughs> like how little sauce are they using on the Chuck E. Cheese pizza? Like, no part of me is sitting there saying like, Damn, this would only this would be much better if they just put another tablespoon of red salt ragu on it. You know, like I'm not I'm just not popping into my head as being an issue or even caring. You know, I mean, you, a pizza just sort of has the amount of sauce that's supposed to go on a pizza. You know, it should have that perfect size ladle that you don't need any more sauce. Just one ladle. You don't have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. just spread it around. Now, what the thicker crust piece I don't get. I mean, I I actually. I mean, even deep dish pizza, for example, and I know I get it. I mean, Chuck E. Cheese does a pan style pizza where the it's more of that like Detroit. I don't know. Is that Detroit style? It's not. But it's like it's not Detroit style pizza. It's that like Michigan brand. You know, this is a whole thing. So like Domino's and Little Caesars and Pizza Hut are all from Michigan. Okay. And they all make that same type of pan pizza yep, gotcha. that's in the like, you know, like puffs up crust, you know, kind of the you know, puffs up at the edges and it's sort of thick and not as crispy, you know? Um, So I guess what they're saying is that it's going to be more like pizza hut, like thicker like that. I don't know. I mean, even deep dish pizza, I actually like it when it has a, the crust part is pretty like thin and crispy. I mean, that's what sort of makes it good. Thin, not really the operative word there, but you know, I mean, it's just, it's got a crunch to it. Yep. Um, This is, um, Anyways, it honestly the premium version of it sounds weirdly unappetizing to me too. Um, <laughs> I'm not interested. It, it's got me thinking um, because they they were so specific about that they get more sauce. What's your view with sauces on pizzas? And I'm not talking a big debate about tomato sauces and what makes a good tomato sauce. I'm thinking about alter, alternative sauces on pizza, like white cheese pizza. Um, Barbecue sauce, satay sauce on pizza. Are you a fan of these? Are these satay sauce. sacrilegious? What's your view on this? Uh, I, I'm in between. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's sacrilege or anything. Um, I I like white pizza. Actually, my favorite type of white pizza is just like no sauce, like gar- like heavy garlic type Ooh. of thing. Yeah, you know? I don't really like like an Alfredo, like Alfredo sauce on pizza. People like that's not that's nasty to me. But I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to say it's like illegal or anything you know <laughs> um i like the thai peanut chicken pizzas we so i guess that's the taste right type of thing right yeah. i think those are good um wolfgang puck 
you know, or California pizza kitchen type of stuff. I, I, I was fine with that. I didn't mind that. Yeah, whatever. You know, I, I prefer like if I'm going to a nice, you know, like the margarita style, you know, Neapolitan style pizza place. I just like, I like the red sauce. I like San Marzano tomatoes. I like the fresh tomato taste. I just prefer that, but I'm also not going to fucking fight anyone if they want to give me a barbecue chicken pizza. Sounds nice. You know, I'll eat that. Sure. Yep. Okay. And this has brought me onto something that you may not be aware of. We don't um, sort of have our style of pizza divided down state lines. We don't have a Chicago-style pizza or a Kansas Mm -hmm. City-style pizza or New York pizza. But we do have what's called an Aussie pizza, which is basically the name of a particular pizza. Um, Did you want to take a guess at the ingredients on an Aussie pizza? I'm using air quotes here, and of course you can't see that, but our viewers can. if I'm, is it, is it, is it stuff that's on other Aussie stuff? Am I, I mean, is it like beet? Am I, are we got beetroot? Um, <laughs> it is stuff that's on other Aussie things. Pineapple. Is pineapple a part of it? No, that's a Hawaiian. Everybody knows a Hawaiian know, pizza but... is ham, pineapple and cheese. But there is. I don't like pineapple. But yeah. Just, I'm not going to fight again. Another thing I'm that people get into arguments about this shit. And I'm just like, yeah, if you like, I cool, you know, whatever. Beetroot's not it, right? I, let me keep guessing. It's not beetroot. No, there okay. are four ingredients. Uh, uh, to, outside kiwi. of cheese. Uh, no, you get mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll give you cheese and tomato sauce. They're, they're a given on every pizza. So there are four ingredients. Okay. Two of them are meat and one of them are veg. One of them is a vegetable and one of them is something else. Okay. Did you want to take a uh, guess? Is there a lamb component? There is no lamb component. So the two meat components are bacon and ham. That sounds good. And the vegetable component is the most Australian vegetable of them all, onions. A shit ton of onions. That's an Aussie pizza? Okay. But the thing that really makes an Aussie pizza, this is, I don't want to say unique, but I haven't seen it on a lot of other pizzas. It is a, it's not a meat, it's not a vegetable or a fruit, but it's not vegan. Can you take a guess at what it is? And it's not cheese. It's not dairy. It's an animal <laughs> it's like byproduct. A, this, is like the, this is, oh, is it Vegemite or something? That's, that is vegan, Vegemite. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it is, because it's just yeast extract. Um... Uh, oh shit. It's not vegan and it's an animal byproduct. Uh, it's, glue. It is eggs. <laughs> we put eggs, oh, on, eggs. Our pizza, okay. on our pizza. That so, doesn't sound, I mean, I don't know. This sounds like breakfast pizza to me a little bit with that. Is it like a big fried egg or whatever? Or well, what is it? You take the pizza out with uh, 30 seconds to go. You crack three eggs on top. It can either be a whisked up egg or just a cracked egg. Throw it back in the, the pizza oven for just long enough for it to barely set. And, yeah, you're done. See, I've seen the ones where they just crack the egg on there and it, like, gets all runny on there. It's good. That looks good to me. Like, I, I don't can, know. That's another version of the Aussie, which I really like, but I only like that at a place that does really good pizza. But that is – I don't know what makes it an Aussie, but I fucking love it. And you – we're probably expecting me to say, oh, it's shit. But you look at those ingredients. They're no. fairly basic. Bacon and ham, delicious. 
onions, you're not fucking anything up yet. And the eggs, marvelous. I don't mind the eggs. I mean, in Chicago, there's a famous pizza place on the south side, Vito and Nick's, that makes a pizza like that with um, cracked egg on it. And it looks freaking delicious. I mean, I've never had that pizza, but I want that. Um, nope. I, I, I honestly, I might call my local pizza place that does like the tavern cut, like thin crust um, yep. pizza uh, party cut and get, uh, I might not get the eggs because I don't trust them to do it. And, I, and honestly, I wouldn't get it delivered because, you know, the egg's going to come gross. Um, but uh, I would absolutely get a bacon, ham, and onion pizza. It sounds delicious to me. I mean, and I really like, I like onion, bacon on pizza. onion on the very top layer, the very, very top layer, yeah. and it goes sort of charred, and you get, and if they put enough onion on, you get that, that sweetness underneath from the under undercooked onion and the really bitter char, and that's that's really the the perfect Aussie pizza for me. Can you imagine the ham and the bacon quality that would come on my Pasquale's pizza with the very thick crust and mega sauce or whatever, and then just like a slice of deli ham or whatever and uh, some um, battery like and just all, all fat bacon, like the least lean <laughs> bacon in history is gummy as shit. Nasty. Yep. So, yep, I will not be ordering my Aussie pizza from Pasquale's, but I might get one. That sounds pretty good, Tony. Um, there's one <laughs> other piece of uh, business I wanted to cover here, and I sent you this before the show as sort of a this – isn't, this isn't one of my patented games, um, but it is sort of a little um, experiment. Tony, I've had these, I've had this brewery, I've had a few breweries that pop into my Facebook feed from time and time again, um, which must be surprising to you because Lord knows I have very little uh, interest in breweries and following them and liking all of them and checking out their posts and looking at their hazy IPAs and, you know, salivating and then purchasing all their beer and so on and so forth. But um, there's been this brewery that's been popping up and promoted, um, uh, posts and I sent you this brewery and I, I invite our listeners to um, investigate this with me. But the brewery is named Southern Range Brewing Company. It's a brewery that is in North Carolina purportedly. And uh, I, I get pictures of their beers and their beers have sort of these poppy ish names. Sometimes, you know, some of them are like beer ish poppy names like Citratron or they sound like something I would put in our, you know, say our two brews and a lie game, you know? Yep. Um, so Citratron. And then some of them have these names that are just like phrases that might be popular on a t-shirt, you know, that is one of those t-shirts that show up on Facebook, like a, t like a beer that's called like ice cube is a pimp or a beer that's called Tony ass umbrella. I rock designer shoes. And Tony, I'm just going to ask you, because the likelihood that you think the same thing that I think about this brewery, um, there is just something a little off about it. And I want to see if you sort of have the same reaction to it. What, what, what sort of just struck you? Was there any sort of, what do you think of this when you look at this, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Is this whole brewery a meme? And I don't know whether it's real and it is just taking sort of the meme culture to the extreme because meme culture is essentially just sarcasm but reposting other people's shit and so you're you're close you're you're kind of approaching what I was going to say 
Um, you're, you're in this, you're in the area. Um, I think it is Mimi enough that I am not positive. This is a real brewery. Oh, um, I think this is a brewery that was generated by the internet. Um, that is my, uh, this brewery, uh, is in the uncanny Valley of breweries. If I, I, are you familiar with the uncanny Valley town? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Of course, I'm this brewery looks like one of those people, robot people, or like deep fake type people that just looks human enough to freak you out. You know what I mean? So I don't um, think it's it's. I think it's right in that that place that we're getting now, where people are sort of going back and pushing the unca- uncanny aspect to it. So I don't think it's been generated by the internet, but I. Do not believe this is a real brewery, and I think it is just just pushing that edge of edge of fake. And um, I don't think it's computer generated. I'll be honest. There is things in this that really make me think it would have been computer generated. I am not. I I don't want to. I I don't think it is. Okay. But it hits all the notes does, of a yes. computer generated thing. Even the food truck they promote called Lobster Dogs is sort of a food truck that would be just not a food truck. It's just a combination of other things that you think are a food truck. Um, Cause there's lobster food trucks and there's hot dog food trucks and they put things in hot dog buns at food trucks. And uh, it just, it just fits that. Right. And they, they, their beers have these meany names and I get that lots of breweries have meany names, but they're not clever enough even to, or, or stupid enough. You know, there's sort of <laughs> yeah. this like halfway in between element to them. Um, and here's the thing. And I don't, you know, whatever I'm, I, well, let me guess that none of the people from this brewery are listening. Their beer might be delicious for all I know. And I'm actually, they are shipping beer purportedly. If they're real, um, <laughs> they will ship beer to my house. So I, I do want to order some beer from them and get it shipped to my house and look at it and drink it, you know, and like touch and feel that it's real, you know, but there is just something about this that, you know, I don't know if other people have seen those, like Tony, if you've seen the, the people that just look like a, it's a person generated by AI, you know, and they have a name and they have a face and all that stuff's just made up, you know, yep. um, they they sort of are are there ish, um, and it and it really, and I I I've never seen anything like this before, and I don't have anything that I can compare it to. Maybe you know, listeners, if you guys have seen a brewery like this that has something like this to you, you know, at at us on Instagram or email us. It's uh, at beerengineshow at, at gmail um, But there is just something about this that just like. It gives me the heebie-jeebies in the same way that you get from the Uncanny Valley stuff, you know. See, I don't understand. I haven't looked at all their beers, but um, why they haven't got a beer called I Am Not a Russian Bot as a beer name. Yeah. That would be if only the brewery were named like Southern Range 47897846421, you know, like you might you might think so. And every post was uh, well, what happened in the pizza parlor or whatever, you know. Because this... This really falls into the um, sort of Russian bot territory where it's not one-liners, it's not nonsensical, but it is that that perfect uncanny valiness that that you were talking about, um, and that those lobster rolls 
don't know whether it's just the color balance they've on my monitor or the color balance they've chosen. Those lobster rolls. There's something odd about it, right? I mean, it's a (laughs) even the contrived nature of the beer pictures, where it's like a beer on a beach or it's like a beer on a wooden table in front of a plant, and you're like, a lot of breweries take that picture. Why does this one look weird to me? You know, there's just something unusual about this picture that doesn't strike me, you know, as being real, you know, really bizarre. And if this is the vibe they're going for, this is outstanding. This is truly outstanding. But again, I want to give them credit for it, but I'm not sure whether this is a deliberate ploy. I'm sure they they are sort of going for that meanness, but are they going for this really off-putting character, that this uncanny valleyness that, that they've achieved? I'm not sure, but I love it either way. I want to try the beer. I mean, it might be, I'm looking at the ratings of IROC designer shoes. It's an IPA getting a four, almost a four and a half. Jesus, that's almost into great territory. Go and get it range. I mean, this sounds good too. Ju- juice, passion fruit, mango and vanilla sour. I mean, that sounds good. Yep. I, would eat, I would drink that. I mean, what about so I, I mean, strawberry shandy. Does that get a, it's, it's not available at this exact moment. It doesn't appear on their list. But the passion fruit mango and vanilla beer sounds good. Blackberry, blueberry, and marshmallow sour. I mean, that sounds a little bit meany, but it, I mean, I would try that, you know. Look, can I set you some homework? Sure. I'm going to set you some homework. I want you to get in touch with this brewery via their Facebook page. Just ask them if they're real. Say that you've discussed it <laughs> on a podcast. Get them to listen. Perhaps they want to send us beer. Perhaps they don't. More than likely, they don't. But it would be interesting. I don't think they do, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would be interesting for you to try their beer. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Let's see if uh, you know if I can get some robot vending machine to spit out some beers to my house. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, I'm uh, I'm drinking a beer, of course, as you know I do during many of our shows. Uh, I did I did post a picture the other day, trying to rack my brain as to what beer I was going to drink. I did choose a beer called Elixir Fields from a brewery over here called Moore. It's very tasty, a nice uh, heavy Sabro and Citra uh, hazy IPA, the official beer uh, that I drank during recording. So uh, it's delicious, very tropical fruit, Tony. So that's what I'm drinking. Uh, Tony, you uh, you threw out the idea of talking about uh, a little bit about sour beer and we were talking about sour beer and how somebody putting marshmallows into it in this fake brewery. Tony, what are your thoughts about uh, the the chase of sour beer these days? Uh, I, I have I did get a few in the mail uh, today where I unpacked sixty beers or whatever out of my boxes, and I wiped them all with Clorox wipes. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I kind of teared up a little bit because I'm so fucked up and I have so many beers. <laughs> and I'm weird, but uh, you know, some of them are very heavily fruited sours. What are your What are your thoughts on 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 these on the the pursuit of extreme sour? Well, this really comes back to a discussion I was having with um, the gentleman who runs our local bottle shop. Um, shout out to Aaron. Um, you're familiar with what a bottle shop is, I believe. Oh, of course, I live very close to one. Yep. So Aaron um, recommended a beer it's by ocean reach brewing it's a painkiller sour and it's a pina colada inspired 
sour, 8%. So we're heading towards an imperial sour, very straight ahead, I think, kettle sour. Mm-hmm. Really, really yeah. delicious. It um, hit the pina colada note right on the head, but he described it as being aggressively sour. And I don't think it's aggressively sour. I think it's it's perfect for what it was going for. It's rich and fruity and it was extremely drinkable, but it wasn't aggressively sour. Yes, it was a sour beer. You could not mistake this for non-sour-based beer. But I have run across beers in the past at tastings and and more one-off type sours that have been aggressively sour that will tear your face off. And, sure, and after discussing this with him, he came back to me and said, guide me into more sour beers. And I don't know whether I want to push somebody into more sour beers because to me, more sourness does not mean better beers. This was extremely drinkable, this beer. Even when you get into more complicated things like lambics and wild beers, when they verge on vinegar... That, to me, is pushing into territory where I'm not sure where the beer should be going there and I'm not sure whether that's a well-crafted beer or that's something that we should be chasing, even if that is a one-off good example of a particular style or an enjoyable drink from time to time. So I think this is where um, I can tell that it feels like um, Australia is sort of uh, like a little bit is sort of chasing the U.S. in the timeline. Absolutely. Uh, so I can give you a I can give you a glimpse into your future. Let me let me <laughs> and you'll 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 go faster than we did because you already know everybody knows this stuff is happening and coming and it exists already. You know, but um, you know we we uh, we've gone through these phases with pretty much every style. Um, and if you try to, the, the biggest issue I have with it is that you can't use untapped to help guide you on sour beer because people will overrate the extremely warhead like sour beers that are potently painfully sour that I, I don't like, I don't care for, I don't get anything out of it besides, you know, heartburn and tart. Um, I don't think that is useful to, to pursue, but they're popular and they're rated high. Now that was more like, I, I think 2017, 2018, maybe before then we started to see that a lot with, um, you know, I, I've long joked about the three Floyd sours. They make just like the most puckering sour beers or they did for a while. And I think some of it has to do with having a young culture, you know, to some degree. Yes. I don't know how, yep. if that's true or not. I don't know if that, I mean, how that reads, but I think, I think young sour cultures tend to um, produce a very, very tart beer. And that's part of the reason why like beers, like say, you know, Belgian Lambic from your, you know, gooseries from that have been around for, you know, a hundred plus years, like Drafen Tannen and Cantillon and, so on and so forth, have much more mature tasting beers that have a lot more character and a lot more depth and uniqueness to them. Um, whereas American sour is very, you know, on the head sour. I think we're getting better at it. You can see the growth. Um, the problem is that simultaneously, uh, every brewery got familiar with 
and comfortable with and in with with the kettle souring right now not that kettle souring is inherently bad it's not you know beers have been made through kettle souring processes for a long long time you know um it's just now it got a better name you know uh but i think beers like that kind of have a different extreme quality which can either be very directly sour or they can be what we're getting now, which is the extreme fruit. And that's, we've entered the gloop phase here in the U S right. We're sort of in the midst of that at this point. Um, and I think that's probably where you're going to go to would be my guess. I'm, I'm sure we will. I'm, I think we're a little behind that. And I think our barrel programs are lagging a long way behind yours and they'll take a long time to, um, to sort of develop, but I think the straight ahead kettle sours and the more um, sort of straight ahead American sours, that is something that we can achieve in the short to medium term. And I think you will get a portion of the beer consumers, the craft, the people that are into more craft styles of beer. Um, there'll be a certain warhead following that will really go after every single sour beer i'm not sure it's for me um and to aaron's question about directing him to more sour beers i'm not sure i want to actually put him onto more sour beers he'll naturally come across them and i think in the next two to three years you'll see a huge influx within the australian craft industry of these beers and I think there'll be good examples yeah. and there'll be bad examples. And yeah, if I had to point him at anything, it's to, it's to try to acquire beers from overseas. I mean, if you like fruited sour, go get some Crick, you know, go yeah. get some uh, Frambois. I mean, that sort of, I think shows the depth that you want to achieve. It's not, it's not that that's the only good way to do it. Right. I mean, there's great American, sour beers being made to Logsdon and side project and perennial. And, you know, those places are making great beers of those techniques, right. Using those types of techniques, yep. barrel fermenting and, and, and the like, but boy, if it, it's not, it's hard and it's expensive and it takes forever, you know, and you could end up with something that tastes like turpentine for all we know, you know I mean? It doesn't matter. Or balsamic vinegar for all we know. Um, it's unpredictable. And that's why I think, um, you know, breweries are leaning towards the comfort of kettle souring because it's predictable. They know what they're going to get out of it. Now, um, I think you're familiar with this beer and maybe maybe you're not, but it's certainly a beer that I'm familiar with, is something that I think sort of in that, that mid, mid-range sourness is Rodenback Classic, not the Grand Of course, all-timer, yeah. Yeah, I think that... Beloved beer. Yeah, it's something that's widely available in Australia. And if I'm going to point somebody that wants something more sour than, than the painkiller, which was a more delicious, um, more modern, I won't say more delicious, more modern take on a sour, a fruitier take on a sour. But if you want something more sour that won't bite your head off, I think Rodenback Classic. Um, it's a Flanders Red Ale. It's not expensive. It's available oh, yeah. everywhere. Um, get it in the can. It is delicious. Um, and yeah, I would absolutely agree. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And where would you place that on your tartness scale? Would you place that somewhere in the middle? 
or is that? I think it's actually pretty high up for for. Okay. For um, for what I like, I mean, uh, it's tarter than than it's more tart than like say traditional goose, right? I don't think it's near. I think it's yeah. I think it's more directly tart, but I don't think it's as tart. It's not as tart as say. Even Rodenbrock, especially, is not as tart as, say, the New Belgium expression of that type, like La Folie or Terroir or one of those, right, which are a little more directly sour, although their character is mellowed over the years. Um, those beers are yummy, too. But, um, yeah, I, I think Rodenbach's probably in the, you know, out of 10, it's, it's in the seven, seven and a half, you know? Yep, that that's squarely where I would put it. Um, I... I was trying to rack my brain, trying to think about the sour tasting I did many years ago at a good beer week where we had some extremely sour beers. But the brewers mm-hmm. were starting out, they were very new, and they did say this one is straight up vinegar. And these yeah. were not necessarily beers that they were putting out for sale, but because we were part of a tasty evening, they were, they were bringing them out and displaying them and talking about them correctly. And I believe... The um, the brewery is Five Barrels Brewing, which is in New South Wales. Um, okay. So if Aaron wants to chase them up, I'm sure their style has changed since I went to this tasting. Uh, it was when Andrew Bogut was on The Warriors the first time. So <laughs> we were talking about five years ago. Um, so it was yeah. some time ago. They've, they've definitely developed as a brewery and they were – they were talking a lot about their barrels and the time it would take. And they were really knowledgeable and they were a great staff. And it was really such a small crew of sourheads in Australia at that time. Um, it was it was an amazing night to be a part of. And I believe it was those guys. If it was somebody else, I do apologise. Um, but they had some extremely sour beers that I'm not sure they ever saw bottling on a large scale. Um, but they're making some green bottle, green bottle sours. These look good. Um, shout out for the green bottle uh, sour beers. This one looks good. This one has a. Uh, oh yeah, these are straight up barrel fermented sours. No fruit. Sweet. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean we have places that are doing this stuff pretty well. I think Side Project has graduated into the highest end of it. I think Odd Breed and Ale Apothecary and places like that are making very nuanced sour. Um, but chasing after the most sour beer, I think you gotta, you gotta be really careful. Um, and I don't know what you want out of that other than you're going to not sleep because you're going to think you're having a heart attack the whole night. <laughs> is, is there a customer hunger for that stuff? Is there like a warhead community around that stuff or is it something the brewers are pushing or? No, I don't think the brewers care. I mean, I think, I mean, maybe they do. I think people just want the most extreme. I think there is a desire for the most extreme output. Um, right now it might be more around sweet stout, which some of these are like painfully sweet stouts that are insane. I can't handle them, but there's the same for sour. And if you remember the hop craze, right, it was the thousand IBU, you know, shit like that, that let's go, let's go for it, you know? And, um, do I think people are chasing that stuff anymore? No, I think now with sour, if anyone's chasing anything, it's the fruited sour. It's the mega fruited gloop style sour. That's what everybody's hunting down um, more than anything. 
there's a million of them, right? Oh, it's got raspberries and blackberries and it comes out like a smoothie. Um, not that those taste bad. They taste good. Of course, they taste like fruit juice, but I don't, I don't know if that's the case anymore where people are going after the very, very potent, um, strong sours, but it definitely was for a couple of years there. And it should be noted that I, I, I got caught up in the IBU craze. I'm sure you did at the time that it was going on, but that, that lasts all of a six pack or it did for me. Um, yeah, and no, then- I hate it. I hated um, like Devil Dancer from Founders. It's so nasty to me. I hated that beer. It was like it was like eating a raw head of garlic. It's just awful. I mean, I, ugh. That's what went wrong with those beers when they were the IBU wars. And that was all about sort of lab results. It's like a cars that were chasing horsepower or something. It, it really didn't do much for the consumer. You can't do anything with that. It doesn't taste like anything. Yeah, I mean, it's, what are you getting out of that? Yeah, no, not pleasant. I uh, and and I think this is going to happen with stout soon enough. I mean, they are just in these insanely sweet stouts, and I like a, a you know a nice sweet imperial stout. I I have admitted on this podcast, I am in for your coconut beers, coconut me to the moon, man. I'll drink them, coconut stouts. I don't care. Um, but some of these beers are just so sweet. I get nothing else but sweet, like, like eating a spoonful of brown sugar, um, just astringent level sweet. I don't get that at all. I mean, even if it's intended to drink for two ounces, I don't think the two ounces are particularly pleasant. So, uh, I think, I think extremes are going to be the case, you know, for a while, forever, maybe, um, or maybe not. Right. I mean, we're, we're starting to bet. I mean, people are, Pilsner and, and Lager are more popular than they've ever than they've been in years here uh, in the states. Um, maybe people are going to start getting into saison and and sour uh, again, and uh, I'll be surprised by that. But I would love I would love to be shocked. I, I don't know where it's going to go. Can we ever predict? Because I certainly would have wouldn't have predicted that it would have gone to New England style IPAs after coming off the the IBU battle. How it pushed. And it was only because there was a delicious beer or series of beer and brewers that really pushed that style forward. And then the consumers loved it. And now we've got everybody and their mother doing these really hazy um, examples of beer. And and I suppose pastry stout, I don't know whether it's an example of that or not, whether it's got the same sort of lineage as that where you had people like... Um, heady topper and your brewers like on the east coast of freehouse and trillium that that really pushed that style forward i'm not sure whether there are pastry houses um or whether it is a flesh in the pan uh cascadian dark ale kind of thing oh yeah no i don't think there's any like signature pastry stout makers i think it's just everybody's making them you know i don't know maybe somebody would would tell me that like bottle logic and moxa or somebody were the in in LA were the, were the ones to to start it or Horace, you know. I don't know if there's any one single purveyor of those that sort of won the country over. I think it just kind of was a I don't think you're going to have a signature uh example of it. I might be wrong. Maybe bottle logic, maybe fundamental observation is going to be the you know, symbol of pastry stout throughout the country or Jay Wakefield, whatever, one of theirs, but um Hey, I might be wrong. I mean, I already named two of them, so maybe those, maybe it's them. I don't know. <laughs> now, How many cupcake stouts can you make? I don't know. 
before we get out of here and we, we plug our social media, it should be noted that I made a post on Instagram this week. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine anyone could tell the difference between your post and mine. So <laughs> They both had shitty photography. Man, it's hard to photograph. They both had bad. Well, mine certainly had bad photography. Yours just don't include any pictures of like Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein or whoever the hell I've been putting in mine. <laughs> um, but the, the same brewery that bought us that the sour that I was talking about also have a New England style IPA. They, they're calling it a New England style IPA. I don't know whether you just want to call it hazy IPA at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what your preferred term is. There's a New England style IPA, so I have no problem calling it that. I don't know anymore. Uh, apparently, there's a Chicago style IPA that's a hazy IPA too, and I don't. I couldn't. I I think it's a lactose thing, but I I don't know that to be true or not. Um, so pff, I don't know. Whatever. I call it hazy IPA most of the time, just because it's f- easier for me to think of. But okay. Did you want my brief tasting notes in? Tell me. I'll Let's do hear my them. best. Was it called impression. Witch Creek or Witch something? Witch Doctor. Which doctor? Yep. So for me, delicious fruit hits you right right away um, before you even taste it. It's just fruit for days. But then what I expect with New England is not pushing into that gloop territory. I think if you're going to call it New England, it still needs to be drinkable by the can. You need to be able to crush a, a 12 to 16 ounce can. No worries. And this had superb mouthfeel. It wasn't. It wasn't like I was. I was chewing on a beer. It drank beautifully. It even had a slight, slight bite. I'm not sure whether it was a hot bite or, or from the carbonation. But extremely drinkable. Would have again, uh, really fruity and just on seven percent alcohol. Really, really nice. Did you want the hop profile or it? What are the hops? What's the hop combo? Uh, Econot is it? E Equinot, yep, yep. Sure. Amarillo and cent- Centennial. So just the three. Sounds so nice. Those three combo. are delicious. I'm a big fan Centennial, of... Centennial sort of like phasing out a little bit over here, but I enjoy Centennial. I think the use of Centennial is um, is changing. Um, so it, it's, it used to be like how Galaxy can be used from time to time as, an, as the power hop, if that makes sense. Two-hearted, yeah, and I think now used as a balance hop, especially in consultation with Amarillo and having a background of Centennial, I think it really rounds rounds each other out. Um, and if this beer is anything to go by, I don't think Centennial is dead as a hop. I, I like Centennial, so I, I will continue buying Two Hearted and drinking it. Um, and uh, I do agree. I think there's I think there's a future for it as something to even out some of these more sweet focused uh sweet you know tropical specific hops um more the grapefruit flavor that sounds delicious tony um i'm kind of ready to open some more ipa now so uh but first let everybody know that they can come follow me and look at what ipas i'm drinking and look at me post uh photos of uncanny valley uh breweries and famous pedophiles at beer engine pod on instagram (laughs) (laughs) you can also uh, email us if you want and i will remember to check the email sometimes maybe and uh you can do that at uh email us beer engine show at gmail.com questions comments you know telling us to fuck off 
I don't care. That's fine. You know, give us something to read. Let us fill up some time. Give us some content. I think that's it. Uh, oh, you can you follow us? Uh, you can follow me on Untapped. Uh, it's uh, Griff AD, and you can look at what I'm drinking, and you can uh, complain about it. Tony, any final parting words for our uh, audience out there? Well, we got no sports this week. What's up with that? No sports talk. Oh yeah, I was supposed to talk about sports. Well, I will say, uh, um, I did. Uh, I have been watching Faroese football soccer as it's called here and i've been enjoying it so if you guys want to get my fairways uh betting tips i did win uh 15 a couple weeks ago i lost five dollars this week though so if you guys want my weekly bet like i said drop me a note beer engine show at gmail.com i'll give you the fairways football tip of the week with bovada odds because i'm not getting anything better than that so you're not going to give us like a free tip you know those hucksters on Don Best? I actually, Best I actually have line. not even looked at who's playing in the games uh, this week yet. Uh, I typically look at who's playing approximately 15 minutes before. And then what I do is I say in my head, I go, damn, all these teams are not very good because it's fairies football, except for two of the teams are much better than everybody else. So if, if one team from the other eight bad teams is a overwhelming favorite, I bet against them. So who is the Arsenal of, of the Faroe? Who's the Arsenal of the Faroe Islands? I don't know if they have an Arsenal. I think um, they have a, I think they have two man cities and uh, a bunch of who's the rest. Who's the baggies. I think they're all the baggies is the problem. Um, <laughs> but I th- the two best teams are uh, B36 and that is the name of the team. They're in the capital of uh, Toshan. And uh, KI, which stands for Kloksvik, and then the I stands for, I can't say what that, I don't understand, I don't know how to say it, but it's some long name that means team. Um, so Kloksvik is the second biggest city. Uh, so those are your two best teams. They played a game, it looked almost like a real game, which was entertaining, because I haven't had any real sports in my life for a while. Um, but uh, if you're watching two of the other shit teams, oof, it's a... Uh, it's rough. It's rough sailing right there. So, so how many teams um, are in this this Premier League? Ten, and they do have relegation and promotion. So, um, they have they have multiple divisions of football in a, if a country with fifty thousand people. Um, and the the play is better. It's not I, it's not fantastic, but I would say the top two teams could compete in like the third or fourth division of English football. Okay, but. Where do you stand? Okay, this is this is, might be suited to a different show, but we'll we'll give you the, the two minute answer. No, you got to get the sports talk in. We promised sports talk. We did. Um, where do you stand on on relegation and promotion as far as sports? Does it only have a place? I love it in soccer, or you'd like to see it everywhere? Um, I don't know if I would like to see it everywhere. I don't know if it's that easy. I think this. I think the U.S. is just different. You know what I mean? I think there's just a, there are, our sports tradition is different here and it's yep. not better, um, but it's just different. Um, I, I like it. I mean, I'll, I'll just give you, in Australia, we don't have that, that same culture of relegation and promotion in our sports. So yeah, even, that makes sense. even our soccer is you have the franchises and they are the franchises. Aussie rules, not privately owned like the US, but no promotion or, um, relegation 
And trust me, my team sucks that bad. We have, I think, 26 wooden spoons, which is the last place in in the championship. So we would, have been, we would have been demoted a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I would like, I think the thing that would, uh, I don't like the tanking. I'm just not, I don't get it. And I don't think it works uh, as universally as people think, the, the tanking method. Um, I would love to see the teams. I, I, one thing I do like about the promotion relegation is that it, it forces the teams to be aggressive towards um, being good enough to survive. I don't think that's a perfect solution either, um, but I think it's. Uh, I I don't like that. Um, I, I guess I don't like that the bowls have been bad for many years and I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't. That's not. That's not good to me. You know. No. Um, and that's probably something else to do with American sports. That's even outside of Australian, right? Is that? No. Um, we don't care about sucking, but it, it does it does uh, does bug me for sure. No, um, definitely tanking is an issue here because our draft is set up similar to the NFL. Um, more than the NBA, we don't have a lottery system. So if you are the worst team, you get the number one draft pick. And so tanking is an issue. I, I do understand how that leads to better play in the bottom half of the table. The issue I have with with European um, football is the same teams dominating such a small, such a small number of those teams dominating the entire continent essentially. And that, that, that is also upsetting. If you don't follow one of those, those big teams, you, you can really have a hard time sort of, having somebody to grab hold of even helpless just trying to pick a team because I'm like, I'm not picking Bayern Munich. That's stupid. You know, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to pick the Yankees though. I've lived in Chicago my whole life. I can't imagine picking the best team because I've never, I've, the only time I've ever had the best team is the bulls, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and that didn't last that long. I mean, it lasted longer than you'd think, but I mean, that's why I ended up as a, Tottenham fan right is I was like well I want a team that's competitive but I don't want to just pick the winner every year you know and that's uh you know and that's a mistake I made so <laughs> uh yeah fairies football check it out you can watch it for free which is actually kind of cool too and worst case the football's bad you still get to see big mountains and ocean for most of the game and the stadiums are super cool and they're always on water so um there's worse things to have to look at on your tv and if before and after the game, they play Fairway's pop music, which is really funny. Um, so you can check that out. Is that like uh, Eurovision kind of Euro pop? No, it's not. It's it's not as good as that, but it's that style. Yeah. Um, it's worse uh, <laughs> is what I'll say. <laughs> cool. Uh, so that was a long outro. Like I said, do all the things I said, email us, follow us. Um, and uh you know, watch, uh, enjoy the couple of sports that should be on this weekend from Pharaoh and from Germany. Um, and thanks NASCAR. everyone. Later on. And don't watch that. I hate that. Or you can bet. I don't know. You like racing cars, Tony. I do, but I'm not, not a huge fan of NASCAR and I'm certainly not a fan of their, um, COVID, um, Oh God. They are like... All right, we're not getting into that. We're not getting into that before we leave. All right. We managed to go the whole show without talking about COVID. All right. Later on, everyone.